The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome to the Sharp Lessons Podcast, everybody. Another episode, and uh, we're talking NBA playoffs, NFL draft. It's spring. I got the windows open, Nate. It's, uh, as you said before we started recording, it feels like a throwback. This is kind of how we started the podcast last year. So I'm excited because it got that summertime feels. Yeah, we started pretty much the podcast going over every NBA game. That was either that night or the upcoming night. And we also talked about the series price and any other futures. So we have a little bit of that, which I'm really excited about because betting the NBA, even though it has been up and down this week, it's just fun just to have so much action out, whether it's side, total, all the props being offered. But then at the end, we'll talk NFL draft and kind of do our last recap, at least as a podcast. I know you're going out to Vegas to help cover the draft for live on the line. So that's really exciting. But also some parting thoughts, I guess before uh, next week and I'm sure by next week we're gonna get a lot of draft news and lines are gonna move quickly so definitely cram this weekend if you haven't yet for the NFL draft and be ready to pounce whenever new markets open or new information comes out before the lines move too much yeah I got another five days in Vegas so this this may be the last (laughs) podcast I ever do to be quite honest I may not make another five days but I'm excited it should be fun uh the NFL draft is is a lot of fun as you said betting the NFL draft can be really profitable if you if you know the spots to hit and you just do like a little bit of studying you you should be able to make some money off the draft yeah it's all information based it's a lot different than betting like the NBA playoff games where even if you think you have a good bet and beat the closing line it doesn't really matter because the games are still played NFL it's all information driven and talked a little bit about it I believe on last podcast where I gave you the kind of some basic tips and on this show we'll go over some of the players who have been rising some players who've been trending down in the last week or week and a half and then just some questions I have and like things I'm trying to figure out while I try to kind of continue to bet prop bets, uh, because if you figure out a few things at the top this year in terms of like first overall pick, if a quarterback will be taken, then you can kind of like almost create your own mock draft and then kind of make bets based on what you're seeing based on other people's mocks and just information you're reading. All right. He's Nate Jacobson, the professor. I'm Ben Wittenstein. Let's talk some NBA playoffs, Nate, as we get into the podcast. You can follow us at Stadium Bets on Twitter as well. We'll post some videos from the pod on there if you miss anything. Um, and you can see what we're picking for some of these games on Friday and Saturday because the playoffs are in full swing for the NBA. We've had some really fun games out in Celtics. Net series has been a lot of fun with Kyrie giving everyone the finger and swearing everyone off. So that's been a lot of fun. Memphis and, and Minnesota has been a lot of fun too. We got two young teams going against each other, Anthony Edwards and John Morant. Like this has probably been some of the most fun first round games I've seen in a while, even though some of these series Seemed like a little, a little non-balanced. You have some teams that could probably blow out and go 4-0, but the games are still relatively fun. Yeah, there's always going to be some lopsided series, especially in the first round of the playoffs. But I think it's a combination of not like a real kind of a not a dominant team this year in the NBA, where it's pretty yeah. balanced, where there's like 
I don't know, five, six, seven teams that might have a legit shot at winning the NBA Finals. Mix in the return of full fans in the stands for these first-round games. I think last year was like half full or maybe three-quarters full. And I think you were kind of getting that NBA playoffs that we remember from three years ago. So a lot of excitement to go uh, to talk about and to break down and to set, get you set up for the weekend games in the NBA. All right, let's start with some of tonight's games. With uh, Let's start Miami Heat and the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, that series has been a grinder on the defensive side for the Miami Heat. Um, and I think what's been pretty profitable for a lot of people is betting the Atlanta Hawk team total unders. Uh, a lot of their player prop unders have been pretty profitable just because – Nate, this Heat defense is unbelievable, and they were great in the regular season and somehow have turned it up in the regular in the postseason where they're just one cog, one machine defensively. Everyone moves at the same time. Everyone knows where to go on the defensive side of the ball. It's going to be really tough for the Hawks to come anywhere close to beating the Heat. And the interesting stat, too, is every time the Hawks have lost, I think this season they don't cover the spread. Yeah, I saw that. I think our old friend uh... – Tyler, who's now on ESPN, yeah. tweeted that out and made it around. So that was cool to see. Uh, so a couple ways to go this series, and you mentioned you don't think the Hawks are going to win, and that's pretty much priced in where they're nine to, plus 900 to win this series. But we're talking about Game 3 here. And in Game 3, one of the best-known trends is a team down 2-0 coming home for Game 3, especially in the first half, have a really good uh, percentage at covering the spread because their back's against the wall, they're back at home. You expect their best effort to try to save their season. So the Heat right now, I believe it's a one-and-a-half-point favorite. I saw some Heat minus one. So pretty much a coin flip game after the Heat closed seven in game one and eight in game two. So it makes sense with the flip of home court, and then you add in kind of that boost for the Hawks expecting them to play their best on Friday night back at home. Uh, the thing with it, though, that's interesting is the Hawks underdog full game favorite on the first half and first quarter line. So that kind of shows that trend has been accounted for where they shade the line in the first half because they're expecting a team to play well. And it's shown just a past history of that happening uh, in terms of the series, though, and you mentioned the Heat's defense playing very well. I will say, though, the Hawks were thrown into a really tough situation in game one. They played Wednesday evening in Atlanta, the first play-in game, the 9-10 play-in game. Then they go to Cleveland on Friday night, play in the game for the eight seed. They win that game, pretty dramatic comeback. They're down double digits at halftime. And then, I don't know what the NBA was doing, but really brutal scheduling, making them play 1 p.m. Eastern on Easter Sunday in Miami, pretty much 36 hours after beating Cleveland late on Friday night. So I think that game was kind of a throwaway for me where I expected the Heat to play well and wasn't surprised they blew them out and that that game kind of died and stayed well under the total. But I was expecting a little bit better from Atlanta in game two, where the spread was close. The total landed right where it pretty much closed at 221, just under the total. But it, I don't know, something was missing late. They just missed some shots. Trey Young looked not great, and that might be because of the Heat's defense that you mentioned. But now let's see back at home, fully rested Atlanta team. They had the last played Tuesday. Now they're playing Friday night. I expect their best effort. The only way I could look in this game is the Hawks. If you want to go Hawks first half at minus one or minus one and a half, that's probably the preferred way to play it. Uh, but I'm not in any 
rush, I guess, to make a big bet on Atlanta because Miami is definitely going to win this series. Just a matter of how many games. They just seem really unbeatable at this point. And they had issues going into the playoffs. People were saying the Miami Heat offensively, they're inconsistent and they have a good defense. But if you're not going to put up points, you're probably not going to win a bunch of games in the playoffs in a seven-game series. Now, they got lucky with the Atlanta Hawks because the Hawks do have offensive struggles of their own. So it's really the Atlanta Hawks not scoring a bunch. Then the defense struggles as well, and Miami can just get past them any way they want. So I, I don't even know if the Hawks can win one game. They'll make it close. I think in game three, at least for a little bit of this game. Um, I mean, maybe you want to take like the Hawks first half line. I think that's always yeah. a pretty solid move for a game three when you're back at home after going down 0-2, at least for the first half, we might see a really good game from the Hawks. So I think if you want to hit like Hawks money line for the first half, make some plus money. I don't think that's the worst idea in the world. Trey Young's point totals at 27 and a half. It's a little high, Nate. He got 25 in his last game. Eight in game one, which he, we're not going to see a single digit of performance by Trey Young again. But 27 and a half is a lot when we're talking about a defense for the Miami Heat. That's one of the best in the league. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, well, if you're going to bet first half, though, be, be ready to pay a little bit extra just because um, that really strong trend where now the odds makers have it shaded. I know the other day I made a TikTok about that and posted on Twitter if you want to check that yeah. out. You're a TikTok man, TikTok star. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to see what happens, trying to figure out the algorithm one video at a time. But uh, yeah, la- la- last night in terms of game three, we saw a very similar spread game where it was Raptors down 2-0. They're at home. They win the first quarter by 10 points. They're up by 10 at halftime. And they were actually favored by, I believe it was half a point or one and a, or half or one minus one, depending on where you look. Uh, but for the full game, they were a two-point underdog. They end up covering the entire game, and then until the last second when Joel Embiid hit a game-winning three-pointer when the game was tied. So uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that series later, but already we kind of see that thing where that team, down 2-0, plays their best, crowd into it. I could see a similar situation in Atlanta on Friday night, and especially since the Heat are coming off two win covers uh, I could see them maybe feeling a little good about themselves and not having their foot on the gas in Atlanta, playing well for at least 12 or 24 minutes. Yeah, uh, I would say if you can get the Hawks first half under minus 130 for the money line, I think you can get – I think that's a pretty good bet. Anything yeah. more, that's a little expensive. You're putting up a lot of money there to win, not as much. So I would say sure. minus 130 is probably the most you want for that money line. Um, just really be sure about that Trey Young prop at 27 and a half. Because he has the, he can go up, he can get 30 points pretty easily, but this heat defense really is serious. So I would just double check that you're really positive Trey Young can go off for 30 in this playoff game. Let's go to the next series. Bucks and the Bulls. I'm going to be going to this game night at the United Center. It's going to be the game one at home for the Bulls, uh, down, or excuse me, tied one to one. Uh, I'm not 100% confident that the Bulls are going to be able to get this done. I'm a little worried that there's going to be some point where the Bucks just turn it on, and we haven't seen that in the first two games, to be quite honest. The Bulls probably should have won game one. They won game two. Their defense has been a lot better, and we're probably not going to see Chris Middleton for the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, and yet, you look at the line, and they're still favored. It's under a possession at minus 2.5. The total's at 222.5. It keeps going lower and lower each game that they play. Uh, I, I'm tempted. I'm tempted to take the Bulls on the money line at home in their first playoff game in like seven years at home. But I'm just a little worried in the back of my head. You see the Bucks, and you know that they're going to turn it on at some point. 
Yeah, my short answer for that is don't bet the uh, Bulls money line because <laughs> I bet the Bucks minus two and a half just about an hour or two ago. Um, I think there's a opportunity here because of the Chris Middle, Middleton injury where it's that injured player theory where the rest of the team steps up in his place and the betting market kind of overreacts to one injury. So you get at least one good game from the Bucks. Everyone steps up and the line still factors factors in that Middleton is out. So I do like the Bucks minus two and a half in this game. Anything maybe three is the last uh, spread to play it at. Um, the, so the Bucks close minus ten and a half in uh, game one, minus nine in game two. You flip home court, maybe give I don't know. Let's just say th- be generous and say three points for each team. That means the line probably should be Bucks minus three and a half. So this factored in a little bit the Middleton injury, but I also think that the Bucks just bounced back off that performance from last night, where the shot quality metrics that you saw see on Twitter. Saw the Bucks probably should have won by double digits if they play that game uh, multiple times and kind of that average margin of victory. So I think the Bucks do bounce back anyway. It's a good spot for them to bounce back. I keep thinking about the Bulls and the fact that even though they have looked good in both games covering the spread, the last 20 games of the season or after the All-Star break, just not the same team as we saw the first three quarters of the season. It's also a Bulls team that, we can't forget, played very badly against any team that was like the top seeds in the Eastern Conference, especially the Bucks. So I think we see kind of more of what the Bulls were, uh, not not you know as bad as they were down the stretch, but I think they kind of reached their potential the last two games in Milwaukee, and we see kind of an average showing from them, and the Bucks come out angry, on fire, get the cover, and still be in control of this series. Well, you see me. I'm, I'm, I got the bull shirt on. So it kills me morally to give out a Bucks first quarter and first half bet. But I think I would be doing it in service if I didn't do that because the Bucks are one of the best first half and first quarter teams in the NBA, Nate. I think exactly what you just said. They're going to come out hot. I mean, this is a team that, you know, they got embarrassed at home and I know they're going to be without Chris Middleton, but they still have the firepower, at least offensively. And I don't think we've seen them really play well defensively. That's going to be coming up at some point in the next couple of games, you'd have to imagine. So I think they run away with it in the first quarter. I think they run away with it in the first half. I think you can probably get them first half close to like a, a pick them probably at this yeah, point. It's probably one or minus one and a half. Yeah, it's um, about you, minus one. I could see a scenario where the crowd in Chicago is loud and that the Bulls kind of have a, a strong start early. Um, or, I mean, the Bucks could also, they're the better team. They could quiet the crowd early. So not really sure about that, especially the Series 1-1. be a lot different if it was 2-0 Bucks. Maybe you can make the case for Bulls first half, uh, first quarter derivatives. Uh, do you have any thoughts on the total? Because Game 1 closed 230, dropped significantly for Game 2, closes 224. There's some kind of crazy funny business at the end with the total and Grayson Allen missing uh, the first of two three throws of 0.4 seconds left on a foul that probably didn't need to be called. Uh, So it lands 224. And now with the Middleton injury, we're down to 222 and a half. Um, As as series goes on, we know that games tend to be under. uh, The possessions get longer. Defense gets tighter. The refs are going to call less fouls because they don't want to be the story. I probably would stay away from the total just because it's kind of keeps adjusting down as it should 
after game one's total was probably a little bit too high. Um, but for me, at total wise, I'll stay away. But it's been interesting to see how far it's come down about seven and a half points from game one to game three. I'm going to go over. Let's go over I, this series. And I know everyone talks about going unders as the series goes on, like you said. But right. Chicago is a top 10 team in the NBA in terms of overs when they're at home. Milwaukee's a top 10 team in the NBA for overs when they're on the road. I think these two teams have been playing at like a snail's pace. They're trying to figure each other out. Giannis hasn't been making shots. The Bucks in general haven't been making shots. That's going to change at some point. They're too good of a team to miss shots that much in three consecutive games. The Bulls play better offensively at home. I don't think they can be that good defensively consistently for three straight games. I think we see a, a total 225, 230, I think is really possible. And with that comes Zach Levine's player prop, Nate. I love Zach Levine's over in this game, 22 and a half. It's been inching like lower and lower as he's been going through these playoffs because he's been a little bit more passive than he was during the regular season. This is his time. The, the attention's going to be on DeMar. The attention's going to be all on DeMar DeRozan. He's got a 29 and a half point player prop, which is way too high, in my opinion, for this type of game. I think we see Zach Levine back at home for the playoffs. He's going to go off 25, 30 points for Zach. I like his over 22 and a half, and I like the over 222 and a half for the game. Yeah, I could see that. Um, just wanted to mention that the total has been coming down and it's adjusted quite a bit. But that doesn't mean you have to go under. Uh, maybe a time to go over. And I definitely took a hard look at the over yesterday at 224 or yeah, 224 and a half or 225. Glass, I'm glad I didn't play it. Although it game yeah. probably should have gone over. And the fact that it should have gone over and stayed under might be a good opportunity to bet the over in game three. Yeah, if it gets. There, I don't think it'll get to like 219 and a half, but if it does, no, not for if this the alarm game. bell's going, it's it's going over for sure. I, I don't think it's yeah. going to be too much more from, from where it's at, to be quite honest. Um, but I, I do like the over, and I do like Zach Levine's player prop over um, as well. Let's move on to the Suns and the Pelicans, the last game of the night tonight. Uh, the Suns are going to be without Devin Booker reportedly for two to three weeks because of a hamstring injury. And that spread for the Suns on the road for game three is minus one and a half. Total is at 216 and a half. Can the Pels take another one at home for game three? And we know how teams can play their first game back home for the playoff game. Don't don't short the New Orleans fans too much. They can be loud. They can get they they'll go get drunk in the French quarters, come to the game, be rowdy. They could. I don't know if they're that big of Pelicans fans, though. Uh, so the, I, I'll be honest. I bet the Suns this morning. Bet minus one. If you can find minus 120 on the money line, that's the way I play it right now. I think similar to the Bucks bulls series with the Middleton injury, there's been another over-adjustment to the Devin Booker injury. As good as he's been, don't want to take anything away from him. But the Suns are an experienced team from their playoff run last year, have a guy like Chris Paul, and they have other guys who can step up and have stepped up throughout the season when Chris Paul was injured down the stretch. So I think it's another situation. The Suns bounce back off a loss. They're playing a team that is definitely a middle-tier NBA team in the Pelicans. And off Booker's absence, you're getting line value, uh, and you're getting opportunity where the Suns, Players, the role players can step up in this situation, just basically asking them to win the game against a Pelicans team that when we were in Phoenix, the Suns closed nine and a half in both games one and two. I think it makes a lot of sense to buy the dip on the Phoenix Suns in this game Friday night in New Orleans. Yeah, I think I'm with you there. And I think this is a complete overreaction. The Pelicans are one of the more inconsistent teams in the league this season. 
And I know Phoenix did not lose a lot this year. But, Nate, when they lost a lot, they came back and they won almost every single game after a loss. They're 14-4 and four after a loss. They have a 78 winning percentage after a loss this season. This isn't a team that loses a game, feels sorry for themselves, and loses again the next day. I mean, I, th- I think they can beat the Pelicans, even without Devin Booker, on the road, 5 to 10 points, easily. I mean, I would even put some money on like a minus 5 or something, a plus money for the Phoenix Suns. Just a little sprinkle on that because – this is definitely a team, even without Booker, they've got as good as players as they can got. Chris Paul is going to be great. Mikel Bridges is good on defense. They have DeAndre Ayton still. I mean, this is a team that is ready to compete and ready to win without Devin Booker. They were 8-6 and six during the regular season without him. They had a winning record. So this is, this is not the first time they're going to be without Devin Booker. This isn't going to be the first time they're going to try and win games without Devin Booker. I feel confident that they can cover that minus one, minus one and a half. I mean, I would, I would bet that all the way up to like minus three, minus four. Yeah, I don't think you'll have to. I think you'll be able to get minus two easily by the time you listen to this or the cheap money line. Um, but the way with the NBA bets has gone for me uh, in terms of like my big side betting where I had the Raptors in game two and they, they didn't really have a shot. And then I had the uh, the Brooklyn Nets on Wednesday night plus yeah. four and they scored like six points in the first ten minutes of the fourth quarter. I'm not going to get greedy. Just Suns to win. I'm not going to be, you know selling points and buying or going to minus five plus like 150. I just want a simple win to get me over the hump this NBA playoffs because I put that's out there on the uh, tracking apps and I'm 0-2. So uh, the Bucks are one of them and then the Suns are the other. To write the ship a little bit on Friday night, trusting the two teams that made the NBA finals last year with players injured to rise the occasion off pretty shocking home losses. Yeah, I don't think you can go wrong, too, Nate, if you're looking for player props, points, rebounds, and assists for Chris Paul. Uh, he's just been yeah. playing out of his mind, and he he'll, he got this with Devin Booker. I think he can probably hit it with Devin Booker. It's a, it's it's high, 37.5, but, I mean, he's going to get a lot of opportunities to score. Now, the only worry is, like, if you really feel the Suns are going to blow out the Pelicans, then maybe you, you lay off the Chris Paul prop. But if the line is this small... He may be in the game for 45 minutes, and they're going to need him to score. At the very least, they're going to need him to facilitate. Could be could be a good thing to hit. Do you have thoughts on the total? Because game one closes to 24 and a half. And that was also a tough situation for the Pelicans because they beat the Clippers Friday night, 48-hour turnaround to go to Phoenix. Uh, and they had to travel from New Orleans to L.A. between Wednesday, uh, yeah, Wednesday and Friday, I believe it was. So, Kind of a tough situation in game one. Didn't expect them to play well, and they really didn't, and it was a low-scoring game. But then game two, total drops three points from the close, and it goes well over the total. Booker gets hurt in the second half. And now we're at 227 half, 226.5. It just ticked down a little bit. So it's gone down significantly from where it was to begin the series. Um I, I think I have to see a game of the Suns without Devin Booker to see kind of how the teams play before getting involved in the total of this game. But just worth noting that it's come down quite a bit. Yeah, that I mean that two sixteen and a half. That's that's low. That that's yeah. that's a low total for a game like this. The Suns play pretty fast too. So I don't know. I, I maybe they're just like expecting like the Pelicans and the Suns to have bad shooting nights. I, I don't think the pace is going to be that slow without Devin Booker? Maybe that's what they're expecting? I can see like the way Paul plays, a savvy veteran, knowing that you try to limit the possessions in a, in a game without a player like Booker 
and that yeah. could be the way to he approaches it. I think the Suns can play many different paces. I remember last year they were kind of a slower paced team in terms of the playoffs, and in some of those games when Giannis wasn't there for the Bucks in the end, or I guess he was there, but when he was hobbled, it just felt like a slower pace at times. So, um, yeah, and then I, I guess the Clipper series too when Kawhi was out. So. I can see why the totals here. I just wouldn't bet into it. Yeah, I'm not going to hit that total. That's too weird of a number, to be honest. 216, like, it's low enough where it makes you think maybe they know this game is going to be pretty low scoring, but it's also kind of that no man's land in the mid-teens where you can have a, a scoring night where it's like 205, 210, and then some late fouls if it's a close game will put you to 220 within 60 seconds. So I'm not 100% sure where to go with this total. I recommend staying away. Unless it really starts yeah. dipping, then maybe maybe there's some value on the over just because of how fast Phoenix can play. Uh, let's look at a Saturday. We got two games on Saturday, Nate, and uh, they're two really fun series with the 76ers and the Raptors. Joel Embiid just hitting that game winner in Toronto. So he's uh, he hasn't completely redeemed the end of 2019, but I know he definitely feels really good about at least hitting a game winner in Toronto on the Raptors in the playoffs. Um, they're up 3-0. Series price is ridiculous. The Raptors at uh, twenty to one to win this series, uh, which again I would not recommend betting anything Toronto Raptors. I'm sick of the Raptors to be honest, Nate. I bet them in Game Two, thinking they were going to come back at plus seven and a half, at least cover yeah. that spread, and they were terrible. I just I have no trust in Nick Nurse. I have no trust in Pascal Siakam. I, I just don't think the Raptors are all there right now in the playoffs. Yeah, and I mean it's. You said it's a fun series, but let's be honest. The, the Raptors injury, I, I think it had potential to be a fun series and a, a long series, but the Raptors injuries have kind of uh, taken it off the off the grid, as you would say. So I don't have much on this game, honestly. Uh, the Raptors closed plus two on the full game spread last night. Now the Sixers only favored by two and a half. I feel like in the situations where a team is up 3-0, that the point spread's inflated a little bit more. Someone a little bit surprised not to see like 76ers minus four, four and a half. Total has gone down in the series. The first game was very high scoring as the 76ers couldn't miss. And then like the first half of game two was very high scoring. And then the, the last quarter got it to go under. Last night's game, very low scoring where both teams combined, I think it was for 205 points, somewhere around that area. Uh, total closed. It was was two sixteen and a half, and it went an overtime period, and it still went under by eleven and a half points. So crazy. I I guess go back to the under, although it has dropped three points in this game. Uh, just unfortunate the Raptors injury situation. Unfortunate they missed a lot of three throws down the stretch in a game they literally covered wire to wire for fifty three two minutes and fifty nine seconds, and then that Embiid shot with the game tied. Uh, gets the 40, uh, 49ers, the 76ers to cover the uh, the two-point spread. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. I mean, the, the Raptors probably should have won that game. Yes. Um, and we're probably seeing a very different spread if that happens. So I'm, yes. I, I really hate myself for it. I hate myself for wanting to bet the Raptors, but there's really not a small part of me right now that's really tempted to hit the Raptors' money line, hit the Raptors plus two and a half, because it's like this team is good enough where they have to win one game. Their backs are quite literally against the wall here. Three down, 3-0. They lose. They're done. They have to pull out all the stops, and I know they have injuries. But they're two free throws from Precious Achua making those away from winning this game. Yeah. 
I, I don't know. It's it's gonna te- it's gonna take a lot for me to not bet the Raptors because I know somehow Pascal's <laughs> gonna go for like eight points. Fred VanVleet's gonna go like two for fourteen from three. And the, the 76ers are going to win off some stupid James Harden playing and Joel Embiid being an insane basketball player. So I'm a little worried. I really want to hit the Raptors, but I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can. No, just remember our biggest advantage as a, as a better is you don't have to bet every game, but a sports book yes. has put number uh, odds for every game. So uh, especially a game in, in this weird situation where a team's up 3-0, um, I, I would definitely stay away. And there's going to be a lot of more opportunities to bet this weekend, this round, and the playoffs in general. Final game that we're talking about for the NBA playoffs, go to Brooklyn for the Celtics and the Nets. 2-0, Celtics up, probably should be 1-1. I would have loved if the Nets, at the very least, covered 3.5. You had them plus 4. They couldn't cover that. They are pretty despicable. And I was not happy with Kyrie or Kevin Durant or Steve Nash's coaching, but this line has the Nets favored by 3.5. Total is 223.5. And, Nate, this seems like the type of game in a series where everyone and their mother thinks the Nets are going to be able to come back at home. It's going to be game three. They're down 2-0. This is the Nets' game to win. This is their chance. This is their their opportunity to blow out a Celtics team when they're on the road. They're seeing and facing down being down 0-3. And I don't buy it. I really don't. That game, too, made me lose all of the faith I had in the Brooklyn Nets. Because if their strategy is just give it to Kevin Durant, give it to Kyrie, Hope they can make some baskets. Throw your hands in the air. Shake your head. If they don't, they're going to lose this series 4-0 because the Celtics are a better team than that. They're really good defensively. They have offensive scorers. I'm really tempted just to go all out Celtics money line in this game. Interesting. Yeah, I I mean, I kind of understand where you're coming from. We're not trusting the Nets. I do think, though, the Nets do eventually win a game. I think this is two uh, evenly matched teams, two much evenly matched teams, where we're going to see a sweep in this situation. I know the Nets home crowd isn't much to talk about, and there's probably a little bit of inflation in this number expecting the Nets to bounce back, kind of that must-win situation at Nets minus three and a half when Boston closed three and a half on Wednesday night in game two. But I would only be able to look to the Nets, honestly, just because I think this series will go six or seven games still. I think the interesting thing in this game, though, you look at the Nets full game, minus three and a half, and just kind of to show how the odds makers shade the lines drastically for the team down 2-0 back at home for game three. First quarter line, Nets minus two and a half. First half line, Nets minus three and a half. So that first half line is the same as the full game line. I think that just kind of shows where if you're betting that, you're getting the worst of it, or you're just you're betting something that's very well known. And there's no discount. It's all baked into those number, into the into the full game number or the the trend or the you know the situation that has been so successful before they finally started. It caught up to the bookmakers. So in my opinion, a stay away game for me. Maybe if the Nets win, there'll be something to do in Game Four on Monday night with the arrival of Ben Simmons. And maybe that's when you should bet. The Boston, uh, bet on the Boston Celtics <laughs> yeah. because of the Simmons dynamic and not having chemistry. Yeah. I know I, you mentioned on points in the pay this week that you're not expecting much from him because he hasn't played since mid-June, I believe, when they lost to the Hawks in the Eastern Conference semifinals. So there's going to be some excitement about him. Maybe the Nets get even upgraded in the betting market, and there'll be an opportunity to bet against the Celtics with Simmons in the fold, or bet on the Celtics with Simmons in the fold. 
Yeah, you read my mind on that one. That is that's going to be the most exciting bet I'm going to be making all season long. Ben Simmons back. Fade the Nets. You go all in on the Celtics because you know people are going to be betting on the Nets with Ben Simmons back, and he is going to make a zero difference for that team. But <laughs> Nate, if you if if you do want like an extremely random obscure bet for this game, if you don't like the total for everything, if you don't you know want to go spread or money line, whichever way, second quarter. Boston Celtics spread. I would bet that. And you can find this at certain sports books, but the, the Celtics have a top five second quarter scoring margin in the NBA this season. They are second in the NBA on the road in the second quarter. Very specific, very obscure, but it's worked out in the past for me when I've been betting them. Um, you may even wait till the Nets go up in the first quarter, like bookmakers think they're going to yeah. be doing, and then lie bet the Celtics to win the second quarter or just lie bet pregame for the Celtics to win the second quarter. Somehow, they were a really good team in the second quarter. I know the Nets like to sit Durant. They like to sit Kyrie kind of beginning that second quarter, too, so it allows the Celtics to go up early on in the quarter. If you really want an obscure bet that's probably pretty decent odds, not too wide of a spread or too big of a money line, Boston Celtics second quarter is a good move. In this case, I might wait to bet that live until after the first quarter just because there's expectation that the Nets play well in the first quarter because of that trend that we've mentioned yeah. multiple times this podcast. Yeah, so I don't know, Nate. Let's hope uh, – I don't want to get screwed by this game again. I got Nets. I went Celtics. I did Celtics minus four. That didn't hit. I did Nets minus <laughs> plus three and a half. That didn't hit. I've been on the wrong side of the spread at least in this game. It's been It's been a little sad. Well, if you if you do want to bet the Celtics money line, I think we should talk about the next thing, which maybe is the better way to bet the Celtics, and it's uh, the Eastern Conference futures. As we record this on a Thursday evening, there's no Eastern Conference playoff playoff games, as there was three on Wednesday night. So we can comfortably talk about the um, the Eastern Conference futures, and the Bucks are the right now the favorite currently at plus two ten, Celtics plus two sixty, Heat plus three seventy five. 76ers up 3-0 in that series, so certainly going to make the second round. Still plus 550, and then the Nets were down 2-0, plus 750 to win the Eastern Conference. So you like kind of like you mentioned the Celtics. I don't know if you just were more like kind of out of spite because of what the Nets did to us on Wednesday night. But if you actually do like the Celtics, maybe not to if you like them to win the game or just to win the series. Would it be better to bet them to win the Eastern Conference, especially now with Chris Middleton's injury? And we talked about the podcast last week, how that path was really difficult at the bottom part of the Eastern Conference bracket with the uh, Bucks, Celtics, and Nets kind of in in a collision course where only one of those teams would make it. So I think if we go Celtics, if you like the Celtics, maybe them to win the Eastern Conference now with Chris Middleton um, out multiple weeks. And based on kind of that, it seems like he'll miss at least part of the Eastern Conference semifinal series. If the Bucks even in the win the series, the Bucks right now only minus 240 to beat the Bulls or minus 250 to beat the Bulls currently. Yeah, and that's the problem is you don't know if the Celtics are even or the Bucks are even going to come out of the series with the Bulls. <laughs> As you can see by the shirt, I really hope they don't, but I think they probably will eventually. And, and who knows, first of all, how long Middleton is going to be at and how good it's going to be once he comes back from his injury. The number that I do like is the 76ers. I, I honestly don't know if I would bet the Nets. I, I think I, – I, I just think you yeah. – they're, they're not reliable. They're, they're just not. And I know the number is a little tempting at plus 750, but – 
I think the 76ers really have a pretty good path. The Heat, I know, are going to be a really tough matchup for them. But if they, you know, they're going to get Matisse Thibel back and he's going to be able to play all the games. And Embiid looks like he's the best player in the world right now with the way he's playing. They're going to be a really tough out. And the Heat are doing really well. Uh, right now, but they play a team like the 76ers who are much better offensively than the Hawks and much better defensively. Who knows if they're going to be able to sustain that? So I think the Heat's success is because of how bad their opponent is. If they have to face one of these other teams, I think they're in trouble. So when you look at that, the 76ers are really the team I'm going to zone in on for, for the Eastern Conference winner. Plus 550. It's a pretty decent number. I hate, I hate, hate James Harden. But he's gonna yeah. he's gonna be a big piece to this team. He's gonna be a big piece offensively, defensively. He's always gonna have issues, but offensively, he just brings another dynamic to that offense. So if I'm looking at anyone, it's gonna be the 76ers. I don't trust the Nets. I definitely don't trust the Heat. The Celtics are a pretty decent option there as well, but at plus 260, I don't know if it's even worth hitting that at this point. Yeah, I think it's a, the Celtics or Nets are interesting just because of the potential where the Bucks might be weakened in the yeah. second round, or he might be the Bulls, which would be even better for one of those two teams. Uh, back to your point, I think the Heat 76ers, that looks like it's a collision course second round series. I think it's fascinating that the Heat are plus 375. I know they'll have home court advantage, but they're only up 2-0 in their series. 76ers are about to win their series up 3-0. I think that pretty much says that the Heat are going to be a pretty substantial favorite. Maybe it's all yeah. because of home court, uh, but the Heat is a better team than the 76ers. Uh, I'm with you. I don't like James Harden. I don't like watching the 76ers. It's I'd rather worst. see them be eliminated next round. And I think that when they do play a fully healthy team, if they stay fully healthy, the Heat, that they're going to have a lot of trouble because I think the Raptors could have given the 76ers trouble or at least prolonged the series uh, if they just had the bodies with Scotty Barnes going down, Gary Trent Jr. I believe he missed game two and just some other nagging injuries that the Raptors have been dealing with. Let's switch gears. Let's go to football. The NFL draft coming up. We've got a week to go as of this recording. Going to be in Las Vegas. Uh, I don't know how that's going to turn out. I, I think they're planning on putting them on, on the boats in the Bellagio. Is that still the plan, what they were going to do two years ago before COVID? I'm not for sure, but I remember there was talk about that. So, uh, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did it. It's Vegas. You know, if you, if you have an event in Vegas, especially a sporting event, you need to need to make it big and do it you know. so it's unique and, uh, you know, special to the city, a city that is full of bright lights and shows and, and fanfare. So looking forward to watching. I love watching NFL Draft and also tuning in. Or I'll be work, helping uh, in Chicago working behind the scenes on Live on the Line. So looking forward to see what the setup is there is, um, especially I'm sure you're going to get a little bit warmer weather than you did for March when you were there for the NCAA Bay Tournament. Yeah, I'm bringing a lot of sunscreen because we're at the pool. I'm bringing a lot of Tums, <laughs> and that's pretty much going to be my diet for the uh, for the week is Tums and sunscreen and, and hoping I don't get burned or get a stomachache from anything. So that's that's the plan for Vegas. I'm very excited to be there. Um, but you're you're really tuned in right now to the draft and kind of the numbers and who's moving up, who's moving down. Um, you, had t- you have it on TikTok, yep. so go follow Nate on TikTok. He doesn't dance, but he gives you good information, and maybe you'll throw in some dances here and there at some point. Uh, I don't know about that. Maybe some more picks because I know someone in the comments was uh, kind of razzing me for not giving enough uh, picks oh. and giving more like like kind of educational stuff, which I think on That's a good. thing like TikTok, it's better to give stuff that you know people could use for later. But 
I did talk about players, yeah, players who are trending up and trending down. Because uh, I think last week I started and talked about on the podcast where I wrote down all the player position props that were available at the major sports books, and there was 13 players at the time. So I wanted to see what the biggest changes were within that like 10-day span, and I did it a video you can check out. But the players that have gone up, Trayvon Walker, pass rusher from Georgia, Kayvon Thibodeau, pass rusher from Oregon, Ahmad Sauce Gardner, cornerback from Cincinnati, who by all indication looks like he's definitely going to be the first cornerback drafted and could go as high as number three to the Houston Texans. And then Garrett Wilson, wide receiver from Ohio State, has picked up a lot of steam. Also another receiver has picked up a lot of steam uh, throughout the, like, the last two weeks, Jamison Williams. Wide receiver from Alabama is actually an Ohio State transfer within the same wide receiver room with Garrett Wilson and then another potential first round pick in Chris Olave. But he was at Alabama last year towards ACL in the title game. I believe his draft prop opened at 16 and a half and it got hammered under where now he's maybe like even odds to be a top 10 pick at some sports books uh, because a lot of positive reporting about his ACL recovery and that teams really like him and are willing to take a shot on him. So those are players trending up, Walker, Thibodeau, Gardner, Wilson that I mentioned. And then players trending down, Aiden Hutchinson, who when we talked last was a pretty substantial favorite to be the first overall pick. Now I saw a lot of mocks this week where Trayvon Walker is going to be the number one pick to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm still not sure they're going to draft a defensive end. We'll get more on that later. But uh, Hutchinson, just the idea that he might not be a number one pick and his draft position prop was one and a half, of course, that's going to go over. Another guy, two players that have fallen a little bit, Iki Aquanu, offensive lineman from North Carolina State, and offensive lineman Evan Neal from Alabama. With these three pass rushers seeming like they're going to go maybe three in the top four, that's kind of led to a drift of these offensive linemen who a few weeks ago were priced both at over under three and a half and now Aquanu over under four and a half and Evan Neal five and a half. So we've kind of seen those guys dip a little bit with the pass rushers kind of elevating. And then another guy who's fallen quite a bit, Kyle Hamilton safety from Notre Dame. A lot of people like him as like a prospect and a football player. Uh, but the problem is safeties in the NFL, just kind of a devalued position where player uh, teams don't want to spend prime draft capital on a position like safety or linebacker or running back. Maybe a few years ago it was a different story, especially like think about the Jets drafting Jamal Adams six overall a few years ago, and back even three or four years ago running backs were getting drafted second or fourth overall in Saquon Barkley and Ezekiel Elliott. But now it's all offensive linemen, pass rushers, quarterback when it's the right year, and now even wide receivers are getting a lot more popular. So safety like Kyle Hamilton where we were talking about this last Monday or Tuesday, his over-under draft position was 8.5. Now it's up to 10.5. So uh, Kyle Hamilton, a player who's falling a bit. So here's the thing that obviously everyone is interested in because it's the most important position in sports, and that's quarterback position. And it seems like the general consensus is probably Malik Willis will be the first quarterback taken off the board I think a lot of people will be surprised if Kenny Pickett is taken off before Malik. But what it seems to me is these guys, I mean, do you expect them to go top 10? I think people would be a little surprised. This is not a quarterback class for this year's draft, for sure. But it really is asking the question, how far will the first quarterback pick fall? And will it even be Willis or Pickett? 
Yeah, that's what I'm trying to figure out. So something I like to do is make a mock draft or kind of like a rough mock draft based on like things I've read in terms of people I respect mock drafts and just other information I've heard. And I was trying to make one today and I was trying to figure out when the first quarterback was going to be selected because there's definitely been some whispers about the Lions number two overall. But I think at this point, it seems like a bit of a stretch. And then you have a team at number six, the Carolina Panthers definitely are in the market for a quarterback, but I'm not sure if they like one of these guys enough in Willis and Pickett to draft them with a top six pick. And then number nine, the Seattle Seahawks just trade Russell Wilson. They did bring in Drew Locke, but definitely make some a candidate to bring in a guy, maybe sit him a year, kind of play him halfway through the season. Um, and Malik Willis definitely could be that guy at number nine. So I'm trying to figure out whether or not one of these teams are going to draft a quarterback, because if not, all these other players at the premium positions are going to get pushed up. And then maybe there's an opportunity to bet unders on some other players who might be lined right now in the low teens. So that's what I've been trying to figure out in terms of quarterback. Going to definitely read a lot early next week and try to figure that out before making some final bets on the NFL draft because it's a lot different than past years where last year it was definitely going to be Trevor Lawrence and then Zach Wilson at two and then there was three other quarterbacks who teams wanted right behind and then two years ago Joe Burrow was the number one pick consensus for like three months probably since he basically won the Heisman Trophy we knew it was going to happen this year it's a lot bigger question and I think it starts at the top where not sure about what the Jaguars are going to do. It seems like there's pass rusher is possible. And if they do draft a pass rusher, I'd expect two of the other pass rushers. And um, the, so the three I'm talking about, Aiden Hutchinson, Trayvon Walker, Kayvon Thibodeau, if one goes number one to the Jaguars, I'd expect um, other two guys to be going within the top four. And that could lead to offensive linemen kind of falling a bit. Iquanu, Charles Cross, and then Evan Neal. But if an offensive lineman does go to the Jaguars, then that really could shake up the whole board. And I think this draft can get really weird. So once we get confirmation that's going to be an off a defensive end or pass rusher from the Jaguars, it'll be a lot easier to kind of figure out the rest of the board and where the chips might fall. But if we're not sure up until like draft day, then it's going to be really hard to predict some of the things at the top. Uh, what other what other questions are you looking at? Going into the draft, um, you got offensive linemen, receivers yeah. are going to be important. As you said, a lot of teams are really eyeing these these wide receivers. So I mentioned offensive linemen, how there's kind of a big three, Aquanu, Neal, and Charles Cross. So if a pass rusher goes up high, then I think these guys could fall a little bit, which would make the Giants the first team maybe to take an offensive lineman. At five, they have a pick at five and seven. So maybe they can go a different direction at five and then just take whoever they want at seven because someone will probably be up there. So I'm trying to figure out maybe who the Giants prefer and trying to get information and read about the Giants beat writers and what they're preferring because I don't really know who they prefer between Aquan O'Neal and Charles Cross, at least right now, if they had the pick of all three. And the other thing, first wide receiver mentioned that Garrett Wilson has dropped or kind of risen up in terms of his stock kind of separated himself from a guy like Drake London, who had a very similar draft position uh, just a week and a half ago. And then Jamison Williams kind of coming out of nowhere, having the good medicals off the torn ACL. He could definitely fall somewhere in the top 10. So Wilson and Williams are guys I could see going in the top 10. Uh, Drake London will still be a first round pick. Chris Olave should go soon after 
Uh, I know his draft position is over under 17 and a half, so I think that could go down a little bit if you want to jump on that. Uh, once a couple receivers get picked, I can see kind of a run on receivers, and it's a pretty deep class with some guys who are projected to go at the end of the first round, and maybe those guys get pushed up a little bit. So a few things to keep in mind uh, early next week. Hopefully we'll solve some of these issues in terms of the first offensive lineman pick, the first wide receiver picked, and then trying to figure out what the hell the Jaguars are going to do. Because once you figure that out, I think it'll be a lot easier to bet on the NFL draft and kind of predict what's going to happen. The position the Jaguars need is all of them. So that's yeah. a little difficult to figure well, out. That, exactly. And I think from what it sounds like, it's a little bit of uh, who's going to make the decision. Is it going to be their GM, Trent Balky, who wants to draft a defensive player, a pass rusher to pair with Josh Allen? Or is it going to be new head coach Doug Peterson, who has an offensive background and is took the job probably because he likes the idea of working with Trevor Lawrence. So his priority is going to be like make everything possible so Trevor Lawrence can succeed in his rookie deal. So I think once we figure out maybe who's making the calls in the war room, we'll have a better idea what's going to happen. It's just, it seems like pass rusher right now, but I think things could change pretty quickly. And if it does, we're going to see a huge shift and uh, a lot of adjustments in terms of the draft positions and players to go exactly first or players to go exactly second, third, all of that. Uh, be on the lookout for props and news like that. Yeah, it's, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be a fun draft. It's not the most flashy draft that we've had in the past with the big names, but it's going to be in Vegas. There's going to be a lot of alcohol involved. So that's really all you need at this point. For, for the draft uh, you can, prospects or for you? Uh, Well, mostly for me, but uh, maybe some of the draft prospects. But, yeah, mostly for me. I was just talking about myself. Pretty exciting for that. Um, You can read uh, our articles. I got an NBA article coming out this afternoon with uh, some of the picks for tonight. And then, Nate, you've always got your golf, golf articles coming out. Yeah, I took the week off this week. The Zurich Class of New Orleans was a team event, but I will resume next week. The Mexico Open, which I believe is a new event, so I'll have to do quite a bit of research to figure out who to bet on. But uh, before you know it, some bigger events will come in, and we'll have a, a new major in May. And I know NHL playoffs are coming up, so we'll definitely do some stuff in that regard and whatever other sports. Um, we'll uh, come back uh sometime the week after the draft when Ben's back from Vegas, first week of May, and we'll kind of see what's going on on the sports calendar. Yeah, should be fun. I'll study up on some baseball. That's fine. I'll do some no-runs first innings. Yes, run first innings. I've been terrible at those this year, but that just means I'm due for some wins. Yeah, as much as I want to get into baseball betting, I just it's a young man's game, and I I don't think I have the the, uh, what it takes to handicap that sport on a daily basis. And maybe some of the alcohol will help. <laughs> uh, all right. So, yeah, follow us on Twitter at Stadium Bets. Uh, we'll have videos coming out. And, of course, we'll be back uh, after the NFL draft. For now, appreciate it. Good luck, everyone, on the NBA bet. Mm-hmm.